Our second reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, it is almost June. I am shocked. This year has flown by. It doesn't, it seems like it should be March, but then you step outside and summer has suddenly been thrust upon us. But the fact that it'll be June in just a few more days signifies something very important. It means that we only have five more months of election season. Five long months of election season. And this has been an election unlike any I remember. We've had all sorts of interesting people running for president on both sides. And there are two characters that I want to hold up this morning briefly. And I'm not going to say anything supportive or disparaging about either one. I will let you draw your own conclusions. But on the Republican side, we've had Donald Trump running for president. And on the Democrat side, we've had Bernie Sanders. And you would look at these two men and think that they are very different, almost polar opposites. But if you look at them, there's something that unifies them, something that brings them together. They're both, for their respective side, anti-establishment candidates. People are voting them are angry with the way that politics runs usually. And they want to speak out against the Democratic Party or speak out against the Republican Party or speak out against the way things run in Washington. So while their policies and their views might be very different, in some ways they are two sides of the same coin. And I thought of that today as I was looking at the scriptures for today's sermon. The first story is a fascinating story about a healing that, if you look at it, should have never taken place. There was a powerful Roman centurion. And a centurion comes from the same word that we get the 
word century, a hundred years, because a centurion often had lead over a hundred soldiers. And this Roman centurion had a slave who he cared very much for, who grew very ill, who was probably going to die. And this centurion had heard of Jesus and heard of the works he did. So he did what powerful people did. He reached out to his friends in high places and he knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew Jesus. So he had word passed to Jesus that his slave was ill and needed healing. And I said this is a healing that should have never happened because if you think about it, the Jewish people were under Roman rule. In fact, many thought that the Messiah would come to free the Jews from the Roman impression. And here's not just a Roman soldier, but a Roman leader of soldiers. Someone who would symbolize the oppression. Someone who the Jews would fear, who wouldn't want anything to do with. And he was reaching out to Jesus, a Jew himself, for healing. Not only that, but as a Jewish person, you would become unclean if you walked into a Gentile's home. So there were two strikes against him. But the Jewish leaders who knew the centurion came to Jesus and said, he's a decent guy. He helped us to build our synagogue. He gave to our capital campaign. He's even come to a couple of potlucks. He's worthy of this. Please take a look at his slave. And so Jesus does. Jesus heads to the centurion's home. And when he's almost there, the centurion sends friends to stop him. And the centurion's friend says, the centurion sends a message. He says that he is not worthy to have you under his house. To have you under his roof, to cross through his door. But just say the word and his slave will be made better. Because he knows how powerful words can be. He also is a man with authority. And if he tells one of his soldiers to go, he goes. If he tells one of his soldiers to come, he comes. If you say for God to heal, God will heal. And Jesus stops. And he says, in all of Israel, I have not witnessed such a faith. The centurion said that he has authority over people, so the people do what he does. And he's recognizing that Christ has authority over the kingdom of God. And that as such, Christ can heal. Christ can cure. But think about what a scandalous statement that was. Nowhere in Israel have I found such a faith as this. As this Roman occupier, as this soldier, as this centurion. I've racked my brain to try to come up with what a modern equivalent would be. And finally, the best I could think of is one that I get asked about all the time as a pastor. I've had, I don't know how many people come and say, Chris, what do you think about those murderers who go to death row and then find God? And find Jesus and convert to Christianity days, months, even hours before they are executed. Do you think they go to heaven? After all, they're killers. They've done terrible things. 
Some people are genuinely upset by this and don't see the justice there. But what would you think if Jesus came into our congregation and said, those killers on, on death row in all of the United Parish of Bowie, they have more faith than I have found here. It would be upsetting to us. But the centurion's soul showed such big, bold faith. Jesus had every right to refuse him, but he reached out to Christ anyway. He admitted that Christ had dominion over the kingdom of God. He admitted that Christ was the Messiah, the chosen one. If we keep reading in the Gospel of Luke, we come to a completely different story. Immediately after this, Jesus and His followers travel to the town of Nain. And there they say a funeral procession as a body is being carried out. And this body is the only son of a woman who is a widow. And this is important that she is a widow because this means that the son's death is basically her death. She lived in an economic system where women could not earn anything for themselves. They had no way of supporting themselves. They depended on their husband. And if something happened to their husband as something happened to hers, then they depended on her son. Now he was gone too. And she is weeping. She is mourning. She's wailing. She's occupying this body as it's carried from the city. Jesus takes compassion on her. And Jesus comes up to this funeral procession and He touches the casket and lays hands on it. And He tells the sun to arise. And the sun sits up and begins to speak. And He says to the woman, Mother, here is your son. And they embrace. These two stories are fascinating to me, especially when we hold them together. They're fascinating from what is missing from both of them. If you think about the story about the Roman centurion, one thing is missing is Jesus and the centurion never come face to face. They only communicate through intermediaries, through the Jewish officials, through the friends, the neighbors. And in the case of the widow, it never mentions her faith. It only mentions her mourning, her weeping, her crying. And I think these two stories are two sides of the same coin. I think that just because it didn't mention the woman's faith didn't mean that she had it. But instead that her faith was overcome during this time by her grief, her pain, about the loss of hope that she suffered as she looked into the future and saw the bleakness that lay ahead. On the other hand, the centurion was full of faith. He had a bold faith that was overpowering, a faith that enabled him to reach out to a Jew who should refuse him but still ask him to come and heal his slave and trust that he would. You have the centurion who was big, who was powerful, who had all sorts of resources at his fingertips. 
you have the widow who had nothing. And worse than having nothing, she had no prospects of having anything in the near or far future. Yet Jesus reaches out to both of them. Jesus heals for both of them. This shows us that wherever Jesus walks, He goes bringing new life. He goes restoring life. It also shows us that faith comes in many different sizes, many different images. We have two very stark images of faith. The big, bold centurion and the woman whose faith is overcome with grief as she weeps at her son's body. Think about your faith. Which of these does it look more like? The big, bold faith of the centurion? Or the meek faith of the widow that's often overcome by emotion? Most likely, it's somewhere in between these two extremes. It falls somewhere in the middle. But it shows us that faith takes on many different faces. Faith takes on many different appearances. That faith can run the gamut that is wide. But it's faith that unites us. It's faith that brings us together no matter what that faith looks like. And wherever that faith is, Jesus comes restoring life. Healing. Bringing new life. Touching us. Changing us. We don't know what became of the Roman centurion if his faith remained big and bold. If it became even more emboldened after what Jesus did to him. We can probably assume that the widow's faith did not stay mired in grief when her son was restored to her, but instead grew. Faith changes over time. It ebbs and it flows. But it should remain. If we find ourselves in the depths of having lost a loved one or at the heights of having all power and wealth, We should remain faithful to God. We should continue to remember that Jesus walks among us. That Jesus brings us new life. And we should recognize that these are our brothers and sisters. These are our fathers and mothers. These are our family members, whether they are at the very low or the very height. In many ways, Trump and Sanders, although they are uh, anti-establishment of their parties, they represent the parties because I think the two parties are united in that they both want to do what's best for the United States, for their constituents, for the people they serve. I truly believe that. I think there are some that they are out for themselves, but I think at the bottom of it, they want to do what's best for the people. But they have such different approaches to what, the, how they go about that. 
They have different philosophies about how to achieve what's best and for who. But if they came together and focused on what unites them, the helping of others, the serving the constituents, I think Washington would look like a far different place. But instead they get caught up in policy and arguments and what divides them. And it becomes an us versus them mentality. In Christianity, faith could look far different from one another. But we need to focus on what unites us. And that's faith in a living God. Faith in a God that loves us, that sent God's only Son to redeem us, that Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. That Christ lives among us, works among us, heals among us, restores life among us, and promises a new life. And then we could get together with all of our brothers and sisters and work towards a common goal. Towards furthering the kingdom of God. Amen.